Hey, and welcome to Artists Who Ship. I'm Duncan Trufithic. Artists Who Ship brings together high performers in different creative industries to explore not only what makes them great at their craft, but also what makes them successful freelancers or entrepreneurs. Whilst there's plenty of great resources out there to help you improve your creative skills, whether you're a filmmaker, photographer, illustrator, or in any other creative industry, I think the creative community could do a lot better at sharing knowledge when it comes to the business side of things. The aim of Artists Who Ship is to talk to people doing really well as creative freelancers or entrepreneurs and have them share what they wish they'd known when they were starting out. This week I'm talking to Ed Moore. Ed is a British cinematographer this year helping to bring multiple high-profile feature films to the screen. In the past, he's worked on acclaimed TV shows including the BBC's Poldark and Atlantis. In this interview, we talk about how he got his start in film and TV and also how to maintain healthy balance in one of the world's most competitive industries. Don't forget that if you like the podcast, it would be amazing if you could leave a iTunes review and go ahead and like our Facebook page, which you can find through our website, artistswhoship.com. Here's the interview. So, Ed, thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Just for people who don't already know who you are, would you mind just giving a quick background on what it is you do? Okay, so I'm a director of photography, uh, which means that I work in film and TV and occasionally commercials, and I look after all of the um, the camera and lighting. Um, so you've got your, uh, forgive me if I'm teaching you to suck eggs, you've got your normal director and then you've got me, and I'm kind of looking after all the visuals and the uh, the kind of aesthetic look and working out how to technically achieve all that stuff. Cool. Um, so a bit later on, I do want to get into some of the business side of it and talking about relationships with directors and that kind of thing. But sure. I think it would be a shame not to... Uh, I think this is a great opportunity to talk about some of the artistry in your work. Um, so I just wanted to um, ask about uh, inspirations. Do you, In terms of lighting, are there any um, particular sources of, sources of inf- inspiration that you have? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's difficult to know. There's a funny line that happens between, you know, talking about stuff in, say, pre-production or in interviews and then the actual reality of stuff on set, which is sometimes more about just kind of solving practical problems. So often a lot of the kind of more aesthetic choices uh, you can only really think about clearly when you're not having been up for 65 hours and, the you know, the middle week of a seven-week shoot. So, um, I, you know, what I try and do is is get as much kind of input as possible, short circuit style, and ha- hope that it kind of all kind of mixes up in there. So I try and watch a lot of stuff that, that my contemporaries do, obviously try and watch everything that comes out in the cinema, try and watch as much TV, especially in the kind of areas that I'm working in. So I know, if not only what people are kind of going for aesthetically, just so I'm kind of equipped when people refer to things, so I know quickly what they want. But I've, uh, more recently, I've tried to mix it up more I've been going to a lot of galleries recently been looking at um, a lot of portrait stuff and um, that can be really interesting as well um, although a lot of a lot of portrait paintings have basically just got the same lighting for 500 years worth of portrait stuff but that, that can be good but just as much as possible and then and then of course there's a the thing where you just walk into a space and just see some kind of amazing light whether it's in a I walked through a, a train station the other day and the light was amazing and then you, you try and just kind of remember those moments or maybe build up a scrapbook so it can really come from from anywhere so it's more about having the right mix in there to begin with trying to load that in and then 
relying on it to be there when you need I it. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And it's that thing of just, you know, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. So no matter how you can try and be as prepared as possible, but ultimately you're going to get onto set and, or, you know, even on a commercial zone, you've got lots of time. You've maybe got, you know, three shots to do in a day or something. There's, there's going to be issues that prevent you from doing exactly what you want. Um, so you have to be able to think on your feet ultimately, but it really helps going in with some sort of vision because if you don't, it, you know, it's the thing of a, a sculptor looking at a, a big block of marble and, and you need to know like what it is you're looking for before you start chipping away. That When I started, I, you, you, when you start learning to light, you kind of point lights at things and, and go, oh, that's that's nice, I think. But what really helps um, it, uh, is, is, you know, in photography, it's the idea of the, instead of taking photos, you're making photos. You know, you've got a kind of uh, something in your mind and you're aiming towards it because if you don't have that, it's very difficult to know whether that one thing you just changed or added or whatever has actually got you towards that goal or further away from that goal. Okay. Did that make that, that, any sense that, at all? That made a lot of <laughs> sense, yeah. Um... I just actually saw your tweet um, you're talking about one of the Vericam 35 codecs, I think. So That's right, yeah. How, how much would you say that learning about and using technology is part of your job? Um, I, think it's, it's, I think it's a huge part, really. I mean, a lot of DPs have different takes on this. You find a lot of DPs will go to huge lengths to kind of say I'm not a I'm very much not a techie DP and if you read any you know any five American cinematographer articles you'll you'll find plenty of DPs who who do that so and I think I, I understand where that comes from because you you kind of want from a branding point of view to be seen as as not just a technician you know you want to be seen as someone who's contributing creatively I mean I I definitely do think that but I also think it's it's part of my job to understand fully um, as much as I can. And um, uh, I look at, you know, my sort of hero DPs who come up through the 35mm emotion world of, of cinematography and, and they tend to have, you know, historically incredible knowledge about all the different film stocks and the processing types and all of that stuff. And um, that's kind of seen as, as super cool still. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of think that, that knowing, uh, not that I'd compare codecs necessarily to film stocks, but at least having a really good working knowledge of how this stuff works and what it's doing is really important. Um, if only so you're, you know, a few steps ahead in your Google search history of anyone else you're working with, because at least that helps instill confidence that you know what you're talking about. So I guess it's more about having an overall awareness so that then when, you know, things do get delegated, then you're still, you, I you think have that so. awareness. And whilst, um, you know, and I feel a responsibility is kind of, you know, one of the, you know, higher paid people on a film set that, that, if I don't know, kind of, if I'm starting to defer knowledge about how the camera works and and everything, then then kind of maybe I'm not doing the job that if I was a film producer I would expect the DP to be doing. So I mean, there's always going to be a level of detail to which you're not going to be able to, um, you know, keep totally current, uh, and and you know, so the stuff like codex say for example that might be something that's more editorial or the, or the DIT can sort of know the exact details of that but you know on occasion I've I've 
been surprised that sometimes people that that you would expect to know that stuff, even in those roles, don't know that stuff. So I kind of try and make sure that I'm I'm at least got a, a base level of knowledge. So there's no kind of you know surprises for me later in the process because I assumed everyone else knew what they were talk- they were talking about. Yeah. That's not always the case. Um, I noticed that you have a couple of credits as a producer. So I don't know whether that's oh uh, that on IMDb. Works. I mean, yeah. that's kind of a mistake, really. Well, it's not a mistake. When I when I very first started um, out of so about halfway through university, I I kind of quit my course, um, and some friends and I started this production company together. And we uh, were shooting lots of corporate videos and stuff like that. And we, we kind of took over this post-production company um, that was in the same building and they all became part of our kind of mini empire at the time. And I was kind of, I mean, I was the camera guy uh, and I was also really the techie guy. So I wasn't looking after a lot of the edit stuff. So I ended up sort of becoming credited on this movie that we supplied facilities for as, as a post-supervisor or something and I've been trying to remove it from my IMDb profile ever since and it keeps coming back uh, okay. uh, uh, but so yeah and there's not really a thing so I'm just trying to get an idea of the kind of time scale here so when how how far in was that so that would that would have been when I was about 23 or something so um yeah maybe even 22 so it, i mean it took me it took me kind of a while to realize that being a dp was something that was sort of something i could realistically pursue because the um i mean i, I knew about the role it's something i'd always been interested in always been interested in photography but i did theater lighting for many years and i thought that that was something i wanted to carry on with um um and in some ways i wish i didn't uh, i wish i was still doing bits of that uh, alongside the cinematography because i think it's a fascinating world theater lighting design um, but it's um, and then when I was in the production company, we were convinced that we were you know going to sell our small Midlands-based production company to like you know Google for ten billion dollars or something. We had that kind of crazy young startup thing, um, and it, the company was was fine. But it was it, it got to a point where I realised um, because of, at the time the there was these film council digital shorts program where you they would give you ten grand and you would go off and do a short film so I started doing bits of um of work on those initially as a steadicam guy because uh, we bought a steadicam with the production company and um and then uh, did a couple as a DP and then that was kind of the, my introduction to narrative stuff and then there were people from who'd, who'd finished their their courses in film and English that I'd abandoned and then they started wanting to get into the industry and doing their own short films so I started doing that kind of stuff and so about 2009 was when I uh, left the production company just to go freelance full-time as, as a DP. So I never kind of really, I was never a uh, camera assistant or um, anything along those, those lines. I was just a DP doing really tiny things. And then I've kind of gradually clawed my way up to a DP doing slightly bigger things. So was that always... Um, you said you were, do, you were kind of the camera guy it, yeah. to start out with. Was it always the aim to to stay like that, or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. It, I was. I mean, I was studying film, and and obviously, I I, you know, was a huge film fan. So I, I you know, obviously, is aware that cinematography was something that existed, but um, we kind of. Um, the, those of us that started this production company, we were doing this like student society at the university, the the you know the student TV station. So um, I just kind of fell into 
the camera stuff just because somebody needed to um and you know i can't i think i i suppose initially i thought maybe i would direct things or whatever but i'm you know i've always been naturally kind of i pick technical stuff up fairly quickly so i'd kind of just to help out i'd kind of started doing that stuff so it was you know pd150s and um you know really old little dv cameras so i kind of started that way um and then the more i did the more i was like oh you know this is this is way more fun and it and it ties in with the lighting stuff that I've been doing for five or six years in the theatre um, and it kind of combined both those worlds perfectly for me so now I can't can't imagine directing really I just I, I think being a DP is the best job ever I'm kind of constantly amazed that everyone doesn't want to do it um did that answer yeah, your question? it did answer the question <laughs> I'm just trying to think where to go from there um So was it was it um, a, just a natural progression from doing those? Presumably, it was kind of with your friends that you were doing the short films that were funded. Yeah, that's right. So, so did the up and gone? I was just going to say, is it um, was it difficult going from that into uh, bigger things? Obviously, you're you know you're working with the BBC now and um, on pretty commercials with pretty big brands and things like that so was was there a gap in the middle or did it happen easily uh no nothing has happened easily it's taken a lot of just sort of perseverance really um i mean there definitely was a gap in the sense that when we were running this production company and i was kind of the nominal you know dp and uh, on stuff and we were shooting stuff that, that got pretty big and we did some kind of corporate films with um you know just just getting into six figure budgets and that kind of stuff so you know we and we had all the kind of toys out and stuff but really we were a little self-contained world onto ourselves we didn't know um really anything um about the, the the proper film industry if you like we didn't really ever have to hire people in we had occasional sort of camera assistants would come in but kind of people just to shift and carry boxes really and um and this was before really the kind of 5d internet crazy amount of of knowledge that's up there now there wasn't really a community there was sort of dv info and it, but it wasn't there wasn't anything like as much stuff out there as there is now um so when i kind of was doing all that stuff we just thought we knew everything <laughs> we, we were so arrogant we just assumed oh there's nothing possible more really it, it was only a matter of if someone had given us a hundred million quid we could have gone out and filmed a bond movie i mean what possible difference could there be in our <laughs> skill sets and theirs apart from they had the money um so then when i when i kind of got into the real world of doing stuff um which uh i got a big break um from doug naylor who's the the writer and director of red dwarf and he he um wanted to shoot a um this was after the 5d had kind of hit the scene and i'd bought one of those and i was doing stuff with that and he wanted to shoot a a, a pilot um with a kind of up and coming dp meaning someone to do it for for nothing and i kind of uh we we had a, a friend in common and we uh, I, sh I shot that for him and then as a result of that I managed to get a job doing the uh, the next series of Red Dwarf which was Red Dwarf 10 as a B camera operator and um, you know that was kind of one of my first ever jobs on an actual film set um, so you know I remember the you know the first 
shot we did, the first AD having to come over and say to me, like, oh, Ed, after, you, after um, you know, we'd put the board on and everything, you have to say, like, you know, B set. So, you know, that's how the shot runs. And, and you know, there was just trivial stuff because I just never, I, you know, I, I thought I had this, this big grounding on how everything worked. But actually the kind of a lot of the, just the, the, detail of actually living in that world um had passed me by because i hadn't kind of come up the ranks so i had to learn quite quickly um about how that worked i kind of i had i what was on my side was that i had confidence and i knew about lighting and um i had a kind of you know just went after those dp roles um on smaller stuff so i built up quite a good reel quite quickly um and then that kind of you know i just just faked it until i made it really um but definitely that that transition from from the corporate stuff into the real world, um, I think is really challenging. And, and I look, uh, you know, now I think that is the biggest thing facing kind of a lot of the uh, guys who are shooting great stuff and it's on YouTube and Vimeo and stuff. It's, it's making that jump from that world into the world of actual credits. Um, and, I, I, you know, I did it just one way, but it just seems like a fluke. When I look back now, it just all seems like, Oh God, so many things had to line up correctly for that to um, work. But so now, you know, whilst, you know, I, I'm split sometimes between saying it's it's not worth coming up through the ranks. It's better just to, if you want to be a DP, you're better off just lighting and shooting things straight away because that's, you know, you're going to learn to play the piano much quicker actually playing the piano instead of turning the pages for someone who's playing the piano next to you. That's not how you learn stuff. Um, having said that, I have seen you know the drawback of of just ploughing in, which is that you don't gain that sort of um, you know basic understanding of how sets run, how the film industry and TV industries kind of um, you know operate just on a day to day basis beyond all the technical and creative stuff. So yeah, there's there's, there's many routes. But it seems like it's the confidence that you had, which has been a big. Um, driver I think from- I think so I mean I think you need if you're I, I think basically nobody knows apart from other DPs what it is that a DP does really knows it unless you've actually shot some sort of some drama or a commercial or something uh, with a full crew and everything and gone through that whole process it, it's a really weird job and I think from from a producer and director's point of view, um, the directors often have a much better idea of what you do because they're, you know, they're they're alongside you. But for the producers and the people making a decision of how to hire you, confidence goes a long way. Like if you, I mean, you've got to be able to back it up ultimately. But starting out, being able to present yourself as kind of, um, you know, fully clued up and able to. Um, to get straight on and do it is is absolutely crucial. I mean, you know, kind of anyone can learn stuff. Like the information is all out there. It's not impressive to have, you know, complete memorization of of a load of technical details about lenses or whatever. It, that's not what what's important. You know, as well as being as being responsible for that stuff as a DP, you're also the biggest manager on set. You know, you've got the biggest department. You've got all the camera guys, the grips, the lighting guys. You know, there's a lot going on that is under your umbrella as a manager and, and you know that's one thing where you, very very few dps have done any kind of management training or anything like i i sent myself on a course that skill set paid for um just to try and learn the basics just because i felt it was a real 
it was a real gap and um uh, that is when i you know my wife works in a normal industry which is to say she's you know she's got a, a you know regular full-time job she's not freelance and uh and she's she's quite senior and and she's kind of often you know reminding me how how kind of crazy the film tv industry is in that sense like we don't have stuff like appraisals we don't have kind of formal hr or anything like that it's a kind of the wild west so i think you know you need to equip yourself a little bit to be able to work professionally and it and it not just be a kind of crazy free-for-all so out of all those kind of things and the craft and the business side of things what would you say the hardest challenges are the hardest things to learn I think the hardest thing about being a freelance is is just keeping your career moving forwards, getting those jobs. Um, that is the tricky bit because ultimately, if you're if you're working, you've got the jobs, then you you know you're in a position to learn. And there's a my piano metaphor, which I massively overuse. You know, is that it, it, trying to be a better DP is like trying to become a pianist when to rent the piano costs. Um, you know, 20,000 quid a day of someone else's money, which is what you need to, to rent a film unit and a full load of equipment. And if you if you don't have that, then you're not learning. You know, I don't think you're you're learning at home on the internet, you know, learning how to, to do all that stuff. So uh, getting, it's just getting time in the big seat is what's crucial to getting you forward. And so, and how, no one will tell you really how to get those jobs. That's not something that is, you know, you don't have, other DPs um, are not on the set with you in the same way that if you're say a you know if you want to be a career camera assistant you start as a trainee then you're going to be working with the clapper loader and the clapper loader is going to teach you ultimately how to be a clapper loader and then when you're doing that job you're learning from the focus pillar there's one DP on set so you don't have you know when I started I would be asking the camera assistant you know what are other DPs like am I doing the same thing they are I just you've got no idea and um you know, one thing that that is an advantage of that is you don't sort of get any kind of chip on your shoulder about how it should be. And I've found that a lot of people I work for quite like that. I I come to it from a slightly fresh point of view. But it's it's getting it's taken a long time to figure out you know what works best and what combination of kind of self marketing and networking and you know how you go about meeting new contacts and all that sort of stuff. It's not quite as sexy as oh, here's, you know, my five tips for how to light a green screen or, you know, how to light, you know, women in a very glamorous way. You know, those are all kind of techniques, but ultimately it's it's how do you go about making yourself kind of someone that someone will pay money for. I think that's the tricky bit. I When I was at uni, I had a chat with Billy Williams. I don't know if you... Billy Williams, the actor... The oh. cinematographer. Okay, that Billy Williams. Yeah, yeah, sure. Gandhi and things like that. Yeah. Um, and the thing he suggested to me is just go and stand outside Pinewood every day. Right. And just pester people, which I yeah, didn't actually I try, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know whether that is, yeah. um, you know, of an era gone by. I think that yeah. some... Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, one thing I would, one bit of advice I would give is that I, I get a lot of emails uh, asking for stuff, and uh, a lot of them are very badly, you know, written and sort of thought out. Um, so I think if, you know, if people are thinking about approaching people that way, they should consider that they're probably the 
I mean, I, you know, I'm so low down the pecking order, and I get like three or four emails a week from people asking, um, you know, either to have input into their university sort of final work or to, you know, to shadow me or to do all of those things. And um, uh, it's 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 very, very difficult for me to sort of make those requests work because there's so much work for me to sort out, um, even beyond, you know, it's, it's, a saying, it's, it's difficult enough for me to get on the job to also then to say to a producer, oh, I'm going to have people shadowing me, it, it can be really, really tricky. So I think, uh, you know, asking, uh, trying to buy people a drink is probably better than, than trying to, to go for that. But I think what Billy, the 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 thing I'd agree with the most about Billy is, is probably the, the pestering in a sense. It's, it's keeping, you do remember when people come back, like when people, you know, the sort of third or fourth time that someone has politely just sort of reminded me or something, then I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, I'm setting myself up for 10 million extra emails now. But, you know, then you start to go, oh, okay. It's when you get the emails that, that your name is in a different font to the rest of the email indicating that it's just been copied and pasted oh, into wow. the same email to everyone uh, you would be amazed how many of those i get um so yeah it, it's tricky it's tricky because it's it's just how do i uh you know i can't it's not fair for me to how do i pick you know who i can help i would like you know i think people have helped me i i would like to think that i will you know pass that on as well and that i could in a in a small way help sort of mentor people um uh you know going forward in the in the way that people have helped me but uh it you know working out how that works is is difficult you know so i'd almost rather do stuff like this where i can talk to you know essentially a larger audience at once than than and it's much easier to do a podcast and just waffle on than it is to you know if i was typing everything i've said today it would take me you know two hours to sort it out so this kind of thing is good cool um what are some of the other mistakes that you see people making? Some of the biggest mistakes. Uh, you mean for, you know, contacting DPs or getting well, work or in general? Just doesn't have to be any particular thing. But I think, um, well, one thing that a lot of sort of fellow crew complain about is people applying for you know entry level jobs and their cv will say writer director cinematographer executive producer at the top uh and they're saying you know i'm trying to break into the industry please can i come and, and make coffees like that that's just that's just bad bad tactics like that's gonna read poorly um i i i for one think it's great to have an aspiration i um i'm not one of the people that says you can't call yourself a dp until you've done x y and z i think you know if you if you're a, someone that's just graduated from music school, we still call you a musician, even if you're kind of you're, you're not touring the world. Um, so I think that's fine, but just be realistic about how you present yourself um, based on what it is you're you're asking of people. So if you uh, want to be a camera trainer or whatever, then then you know present yourself as that on the CV um, because it's just silly to approach people with a you know grander title than the person you're writing to. Um, so that that's one thing. I think, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a visual industry, obviously, and people are very sensitive to presentation. So, you know, if you're if just the boring stuff like your CV and your website and everything is not just easy and clear and up to date, and you're not the first entry for your name on Google and all those things, that that isn't going to chime sort of great confidence into my heart that you're the person that you know could could help me out for something. So that's that's another thing, but. I think, and this is crap advice from me because I didn't do this, but but having, you know, in everything you sort of say and do, just the understanding that there is a long road ahead um, can help. Um, but having said that, there are people who go from, you know, camera assisting to shooting big movies in like two years and they, they just get lucky and you get in the right place at the right time. So, you know, that's fine too. Um, Along the... many ways. Sorry. Along this a similar kind of line uh if you could give one piece of advice to your let's say 23 year old self what would that be um 23 well i mean at 23 that probably would have been the point that if i was going to try and do you know nfts um i would should have applied then um uh, you know that that is something that i think is is a definite thing to consider if you want to become a dp in the uk uh, being one of the people on the NFTS course is kind of a pretty sensible way of presenting yourself to the industry that gives you an in you know that was one of the things that was difficult for me I've kind of overcome it now but when I first started in your kind of a young DP people will take more chances in in professional film and TV with young directors because it's kind of an understood thing that you get in kind of fresh blood with new ideas but but for DPs, because, you know, restating what I was saying earlier, no one really knows exactly what you do. It's kind of a slight mystery. Then they, they, they're they more comfortable having older, more experienced DPs. Um, so how do you get yourself noticed when you're younger and make sure that you don't just spend 20 years being an AC? Then, you know, being coming out of the NFTS is sort of an understood way that, you know, their producers will, will go, OK, that that's something. So... I think I would have considered that a bit more. And I think I probably would just have tried to... I'd tell myself to just watch more stuff, just soak in more um, things that are out there and don't and, and stray outside my comfort zone. Don't just keep watching the same types of movies over again because sooner or later you're going to be in a room or a coffee shop meeting a prospective director and they're going to say oh what do you think about this and you're going to go oh god how have i not seen that that's you know make sure you've seen the bfi top 100 and all those kind of things i was very kind of you know i would only do the things that i liked doing um and you, you need to be you need to have a broader education than that really in the sort of visual visual arts i think when you you mentioned again the this idea that it is a bit of a mysterious role to some people, yeah. Um, I think this is a great point to bring up uh, your little side um, side project, DOP gifts, which is brilliant. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it, in some ways uh, it, it's more popular than my actual cinematography. Yeah. Well, 
Maybe you can sell that one for a billion dollars to Google one day. Maybe I'll yeah. try. I, DOP gifts is is great, but to be honest, I like I've just run out of like not enough funny things happen to me on set to because they all. I I mean, some of them I obviously just make up totally, but a lot of them are stuff that's happened. Like, which is why when I first started it, I did like two hundred in in like three weeks, um, and now it's died off a bit. And and the other thing that's happened is it's become popular enough that. Um, People will talk about it to me without realizing that it's me doing it. Like it's 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 well known enough that people go, "Oh, have you seen this website?" And then if they find out that it's me, then they're just like refreshing it to see if I've said something about the shoot that we're doing. Um, uh. So it's kind of become complicated. But you know, now if I just see a really good gift, then I do try and save them up. I must, uh, and every, and then I then I'll do one and just um, be. Uh, you know, then it'll kick me off to do a few more. But it's quite a lot of fun. I've I've had some amazing contacts from from people who uh, you know I can't I can't really talk about, but you know, well known people who've really liked it. So that's been really nice. Cool. So it's dopgifts.tumblr.com. I think it is. Um, yeah, that's, I'm it looking is. at it right now. You're looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you haven't seen it, then check it out. They are completely stupid. If you <laughs> um, if you've never if you're not fully, sometimes I sometimes I'm aware that people see it and they just they aren't really familiar with the internet um, and the world of Reddit and animated gifs. But if you're sort of au fait with that world, then hope and the world of if you if you fit that Venn diagram overlap, then uh, I think you might like it. Yeah, and I think it would be unfair not to mention your actual website as well, seeing as how I've said that. Um, <laughs> Thank cause... you. My actual website just featuring a, a very uh, new showreel, um, which um, please, by all means, can have a poke at and decide for yourself whether I'm talking bollocks or not, which is edmoredop.com, uh, and the reel is right on the front page, which is uh, it's edmoredop.com. Um, nice. Um, I don't want to keep you for too much longer because I know you're... It's no um, pro- have a pretty busy I've, I've got to put a pizza in the oven. Uh, that, okay. That's pretty much my, uh, my main <laughs> deadline for this evening. So okay. if you have some more questions, that's fine. Um, yeah. Um, are there any specific books that you've personally taken a lot from or that you often give as gifts to people or anything like that? Um, I, uh, I used to buy a lot of uh, cinematography books and, uh, and then be be crap at reading them really and actually get around to reading them so um i probably i I have given the i used to give the the ac manual to a couple of people before i realized it was just i didn't know what i was talking about i certainly wasn't qualified to sort of say oh this is how you do it so there's the there's the two famous um uh american focus pillars who've written those books whose names i've totally forgotten it might be Um, douglas hart maybe yeah yeah that's right yeah i think is woody allen's focus pillar or has done stuff with woody allen um so those are very good i mean there's there's a lot of good stuff out there i'm trying to look behind me i've moved on my dp books downstairs uh and you know there's plenty the um What's really good to be honest now nowadays following a lot of dps on twitter can be great and you just figure out what people are doing there's a lot of great dps posting on instagram that can be quite cool um but it's difficult sometimes it's difficult because as i say it, it's a it can be a slightly lonely world in the sense that you're not working directly with other dps so when you encounter them online it's all by nature of that it's something that they're doing that you're not doing so you have to kind of um 
remind yourself constantly that other people's success is not your failure. Uh, that should be on a T-shirt. So um, uh, occasionally I find myself looking at the, you know, on IMDb, the age of DPs, which can be quite scary sometimes. I was looking at the guy that shot uh, Fury and he's now doing the Justice League movie, I think. He is, I think, the same age as me or very slightly older. And then you start going, oh, God. Um, but, yeah, I think I think online is, is the place to find... Um, uh, DP info now. Oh, I tell you what, the the thing to do is obviously go on cinematography.com and search for everything that David Mullen has ever written because he probably of everyone um, is is the you know one of the greatest DPs. Uh, not only his work is fantastic, but his just communication skills and generosity of um, of of typing stuff up is is fantastic so there's some really good stuff there i remember as well in back in the i, I haven't been on cinetophy.com for a while but um uh, there used to be great stuff on there i remember eric Stilberg is now very uh, big dp um posting you know production diaries of the then unknown indie movie juno that i think that's all still up there and um that's all really fascinating um, I tend not to do CML anymore. I find that can be just a bit of a weird clique, but there is good information um, there as well. Um, but it, it's kind of a, it's a it's a um, what's the word waterfall of, of info really. It's just knowing where to you know what to listen to and what to ignore. There's a there's a lot of crap out there as much as there's good stuff. Cool. That's all really really useful. Um... Who is the first person that comes to mind when you hear the word successful? Um, yeah, future me? I don't know. I think I I don't know. That's a really tough question. Um, I think you need to keep yourself going somehow. I mean, I, as a DP, I always think of just you know, obviously Roger Deakins is someone who's in every DP's mind. It's a bit of a cliche now. Um, but he he was the first sort of DP I'd really you know was aware of as a distinct figure just from the general role, um, and you know he was the person. Um, well, actually, him and John Matheson, weirdly, I remember um, very early on hearing. I think probably while sort of at university that John Matheson was being paid forty grand a week to shoot Gladiator, and I remember telling. Um, uh, my now wife, you know, if you stick with me and, and one day maybe we'll get to 40 grand a week. So that that was kind of, and that's just been a, an in-joke with us for a long time. She's still waiting for the 40 grand a week. I think it's a few decades off if I ever get there. Um, but yeah, so it's that combination because, I mean, fi financial success is less interesting to me, I guess, than um, the type of work. You know, I, I tend to be more uh, envious of people's, um, credits than I am of sort of any kind of financial. If you want financial success as DP, become a you know fashion beauty specialist in commercials and just stick to that. Um, but that you know I don't think that's why people get into the work particularly. I think you get into it because you want to shoot you know the, some of the great art house films or you want to shoot Bond. You know I tend to be a more slightly commercially orientated things. That's the the kind of films that me and my director buddies want to make one day. Um, so. There's so many definitions of it. Like, and another one would be not only the type of work you're doing, but the kind of person you are. Um, it's not just those, you know, there's a difference between your the sort of skills you put on your CV and the sort of skills that would be, you know, read out in your eulogy at your funeral, if you like. That's something I think about. It's, you know, how 
how can you be this sort of person that there's a lot of DPs out there and, and there's a lot of people out there who are very successful in their areas. But if you talk to people that work with them, um, they haven't got that much good to say about them. There's, there's a sacrifice um, can be made between, you know, you can just be an incredibly demanding, difficult person. And, and sometimes that can produce dividends for you, but is that necessarily the sort of legacy you want to leave? So when, um, I started thinking properly about being a DP. I kind of thought, you know, you're the measure of, well, the, the factors going into you, your success are, um, you know, to a certain extent, your, you know, talent. Um, and, but, you know, to a larger extent, the whole thing about, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, it's your sort of ability to network and, and in any connections you have, um, and luck, obviously, you know. But I think, the longer I've done it, the more I've realised that there there is another factor, which is kind of the on the sacrifice side, is how much do you, um, how much are you willing to sort of upheave your personal life to achieve things? Um, you know, there are people on all sides of that. There are people who, um, you know, you might go, oh well, they're not, they don't seem to be doing particularly well, but they've just got an amazing family life and they're just happy as Larry. Um, and there are other people who are terribly unhappy but are working constantly. So. You know, that's that is something as I get older, I, I think more about, you know, you can't it's not all about just completely chasing the, the you know, the big shoots all the time. It's about making sure that, you know, 30 years down the line, you're you're happy with how you've spent your your limited time, you know, on the planet. That got pretty deep. Yeah, I think <laughs> I don't think we can. Uh, can't top that. We can't, we can't go back to gifts now. I yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. Very good. Well, it's been so, a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. See you soon. <laughs>